Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast, where you can find a new episode released every Thrive Thursday. I am a current clinical psychology graduate student, passionate about all things to do with mental health, relationships, healing, self-reflection, and other topics that influence us in our everyday lives. I created this podcast to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life and to share insightful and honest conversations with everyday individuals and informed professionals. Although the show is not a replacement for therapy, I hope the conversations had can inspire you to look within, to practice self-compassion, to gain more awareness, and to trust the process of your unique journey. If you resonate with the message of Trust and Thrive, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. You can also stay connected by following me on Instagram at Trust and Thrive. Thank you for being here. Now let's get right into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Trust and Thrive. I'm your host, Tara Mont. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you are enjoying summer if you're experiencing summer wherever you are. It's nice to slowly see things opening up, especially in LA. We're very lucky that we are able to go out now. I know it's not the same in other areas. So I'm sending love and thinking of anyone who is still in lockdown, who still doesn't feel safe going out. Even if your state, your town has been opened up, I know it can come with a lot of anxiety about plans happening again. It seems a little overwhelming at times, but I definitely am just happy to see loved ones again. And so to get into this week's episode, we touch on the topic of bipolar disorder, and we specifically touch on bipolar one and bipolar two. We explore what that looks like because I think there are so many misconceptions in media that are so harmful that I've seen, honestly, in movies, in shows, in songs. Like even now, I just hear it casually, like old songs, even like the one hot and cold song by (laughs) Katy Perry, which I love that song. It's so catchy. But then she says, got a case of love bipolar, you're up and you're down. And just in general, you hear people talk about bipolar as if just like you're having a mood swing, which is very harmful, first of all, because that puts a stereotype on what the disorder looks like that adds to the stigma of mental health in general as if it's something so out there. When a lot of people have this diagnosis, please, please do not ever diagnose yourself in general. And especially when you listen to just one podcast episode, for example, like this, we touch on what bipolar one or bipolar two may look like. But once again, it's different for everyone, for every case. It's not so simple. So please do not diagnose yourself. Please do not assume that someone has something just from what we said. And please don't take what we're saying as the one size fits all because that's not the case. And we mentioned that as well. Mental health is so much more complicated than even the DSM, the book that we diagnose from. It's way more complicated than just checking off a box. Every situation looks different and we have to keep that in mind. So if you feel like this is something you may be struggling with or know someone, definitely reach out to a professional someone who can look at your specific case. I just want to make that clear because these are serious topics we touch on on this show. 
And I don't want anyone to take my word. I'm just an MFT student myself. I'm a psychology student right now. And, you know, our next guest is a professional. But once again, they are not seeing your specific case. And it looks different for everyone. That being said, to introduce this week's guest, her name is Colleen King. Colleen is a licensed psychotherapist providing individual therapy to adults throughout California via telehealth. Colleen is passionate about helping people living with the challenges of anxiety, depression, or bipolar disorder learn effective strategies to manage symptoms that get in the way of living their lives. Colleen helps people to increase self-awareness, master new coping skills, and address self-limiting beliefs to foster a meaningful and authentic life. You can follow Colleen on Instagram at bipolar underscore therapist. And to learn more about her work, you can visit the website insightcounselingsacramento.com. And I will make sure to include all that info in the description of this episode, as always. And you can also follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Trust and Thrive. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you are able to learn something new, start a conversation. Let's get right into it with Colleen. Hi, Colleen. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really happy to have you here. It's nice to be here on your show. So can you start off telling us about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm a therapist in California, meeting with people on telehealth, uh, as well as in the office. And I work with uh, older teens and adults um, who are living with anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder and help them you know, get more of an idea of how those experiences impact them living their life so that they can get back to feeling good about themselves. Amazing. And I'm sure, especially with COVID this last year through telehealth, I know a lot more people personally have been using it. So that's incredible that you're doing that. And so I want to talk specifically about bipolar. A lot of people struggle with it and we may not realize because there are so many misconceptions and not enough representation. And so can you start off just explaining diagnosis of bipolar one versus bipolar two in general, even though I'm sure it could look different for everyone. Yeah, there's quite a spectrum of how bipolar disorder shows up. And most people are familiar with kind of the stereotype display that are like in movies or TVs of like um, really distinctive manic episodes where people are, you know, out spending money and um, having sex with lots of people. And, um, and sometimes those things are true, um, like very manic or very depressed, but there, there's a really big spectrum of them. So for bipolar one, the difference as far as diagnosis is that with bipolar one, you don't have to have an experience of depression in order to be diagnosed. You can just have mania and be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Bipolar two means that you must have had at least one experience of what would be major depressive disorder along with hypomania or mania. And so there's also something called cyclothymia, which is like bipolar disorder, but less 
intensive mood swings. Thank you for explaining that. And I think too, when it comes to manic episodes, there can be a lot of misconceptions revolving it. I know I've seen like it represented in a way that's like you're in a high and you're always feeling good and it's always a good feeling. So can you talk about maybe what a manic episode can look like, even though it looks different for everyone? Sure. So manic episodes can feel good. Some people um, that I work with talk about wanting wanting their mania back. Like, I sure wish I had some mania right now because it can give you more energy, kind of a hyper focus in on one thing. Or um, for some people, it's multiple projects all at once. And there can be like really positive feelings of self-esteem and self-confidence and motivation. Um, so there can be lots of good stuff, but there's there's a downside and, and there are other things too. It usually comes with um, insomnia and that can be difficulty sleeping or feeling like you don't need to sleep or you only need to sleep like two hours and you're good. And I've I've seen that in shows too, like where people think, you know, they may think they're Jesus, or they may think they're talking to someone really famous, or they're in that. And so can you explain how maybe those representations, they can be helpful, but they can maybe also be harmful, because I think it puts a very extreme view on the disorder, as opposed to realizing that a lot of people may struggle with it, and it might not look like that. Yeah, um, people that that have the um beliefs that they are like your example of Jesus or some other famous person. Those, those are um, bipolar one people that have psychosis. So that means um, they have delusions or auditory or visual hallucinations. And there is a, a subset of people that do have those experiences, but not everybody with bipolar disorder has those experiences. Yes, thank you for clarifying. And so for a manic episode, how long can it last? Is it something that has to have a specific time limit? Can it last a week for someone who may not know? Sure. So the the diagnostic criteria for bipolar 1 mania is 1 week or longer, and for hypomania it's 4 days or longer. Okay. And so for someone, for example, who may notice a loved one who is experiencing this and they're witnessing a loved one in a manic episode or even hypomania episode, whether or not they're receiving treatment, how can they best support them in a way that keeps them safe and also um, doesn't, you know, uh, maybe corner that individual who's experiencing it? Yeah. The best time to do that is when people are not in a manic or a depressive state um, because then you can like collaborate with a plan about what feels best to support them. So developing language around like for loved ones to approach them if they're noticing like that they're not sleeping or that they have a whole bunch of projects going on or they're speaking really fast and distracted or sometimes really irritable. Um, so finding language to approach them that might not, you know, evoke defensiveness, something like um, you seem to be or that I've noticed that, you know, you're not sleeping the last three nights. You know, how are how is how is that impacting you? How are you feeling? 
So, you know, coming up with those language and phrases and, and the people knowing what those cues are to those like mania or depressive episodes, like lack of sleep or irritability so that they can then use them. And then also knowing what like their support plan is like coping mechanisms. So they can kind of cue them to like, let's, you know, try to focus on sleeping or just doing one thing at a time or, you know, reaching out to your therapist or your doctor or something. Definitely. I think that's really helpful, like psychoeducation for families, especially because I know I'm sure it's something that many individuals can feel alone in if they don't have the support. And so would you say psychoeducation is a big part of the treatment? And what are some other forms of treatment that are common? Definitely. Psychoeducation is super important. It can help people identify what like what depression or mania or mixed states or anxiety first of all, to differentiate those and then to define what their experiences are. Because there is such a diverse experience and spectrum of how those symptoms show up. So being able to help support people, like giving them information of how that shows up. Also really doing psychoeducation on how creating routines and structure and regulating circadian rhythm really supports people with bipolar disorder, especially, but all mood disorders. That's so interesting, too, because I'm in school right now, grad school, to get my MFT and learning about it and then hearing like songs and seeing shows and movies that just use bipolar. They throw it out like, oh, you're in a bad mood today and you were in a good mood yesterday and using the term bipolar. um, There's so many myths and unhealthy ways that I think media can continue to stigmatize these disorders and mental health in general. So I wanted to ask you if there are any um, myths you hear often about the diagnosis and how um, they're not true and can be harmful? Yeah, like the one that you brought up about, you know, kind of using bipolar as, you know, a descriptor or an adjective, like you're, you're so bipolar today, or, you know, other mental illness like schizophrenia or OCD, those are also used that way. And it really does a disservice and minimizes how, how those illnesses impact people. Um, so, you know, with bipolar disorder, not equating emotions with illness. So oftentimes the people I work with will like talk about some kind of event in their life that upset them, that made them like sad or, or worried or frustrated, but they don't want to express emotions with their family or friends Um, Because they're afraid of being like labeled bipolar or that's, that's, you know, that's your illness. And it's like, well, people with bipolar do get to have emotions and (laughs) just have normal human responses. So that's a really big one. And then the other thing is kind of on the other end is that when people are experiencing depression, um, you know, they get called lazy. Um, or, you know, that they're just not trying hard enough, whether that's depression or mania or or mixed states is that they're just not trying hard enough, um, or families want to do the, you know, tough love can't, can't enable them, 
you know, they're, they're not, you know, they're not doing this or that, or they're doing too much of this. Um, so those are all kind of play into the misconceptions of bipolar being a choice, like, you know, that if it's just, you need to change your behavior, that's part of it. Like in regulating your circadian rhythm and using coping skills, but it's, it's not just, you know, snap out of it. Don't be lazy or just focus. Exactly. It's kind of like that toxic positivity that I think I know in the past I've fallen for, like you can choose to be happy, just wake up and be happy. And I'm sure to someone who's depressed and they see that they think, it's not that simple or for someone with anxiety, just don't think about it. (laughs) Like it's so easy to snap out of it when that's not the case. And I think too, for bipolar compared to depression, because I know friends have talked to me about how their families have said, oh, well, like, it's just, are you ungrateful? Like, how can you be depressed if you're privileged and you have all of this going on in your life? Or how could you even struggle with um, bipolar if everything's good around you as if it's a choice, like you said? And do you think that's something maybe a lot of your clients struggle with to feel like it's not normalized, whether it's in their families or people around them, and that it's okay to um, struggle with something. It doesn't make you ungrateful. It doesn't make you not willing to choose happiness. I think that puts a lot of guilt on people. So I guess my question is, do you notice guilt a lot when it comes to um, being diagnosed with a mental illness? Definitely. So in addition to doing the um noticing the cues and the coping skills. The other thing that I always work with people on is around self-identity and self-worth because that guilt and shame and internalized stigma ends up really impacting people um, because they feel like they're not trying hard enough or they, they should be able to be normal or, you know, um, all those expectations, internal and external expectations about, you know, how we're supposed to show up in our life. And so I really work with people on self-acceptance and setting boundaries with family, friends, coworkers, and communication is part of it. But really, a lot of the work comes around like self-identity and self-acceptance. And from there comes the self-worth. And, and that usually allows people to better support themselves, you know, with regulating their moods and managing stress if they approach it from a more self-compassionate stance. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that because I think at the same time, while I like to acknowledge that it's not easy to just be happy and choose happiness, for example, there are ways that we can be in control and have agency and, you know, work through our recovery and healing process, which is a lifelong process if you're diagnosed, of course. And so do you often see too, when it comes to maybe someone with diagnosed with bipolar one or two in a work setting, is that something that you think people um, worry about whether or not they'll be accepted in a work setting or if they'll be triggered? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of um, work around um, around, um, self-disclosure, you know, at, at work or, or anywhere with anybody, because there is that stigma piece and, um, with, you know, whether you're in grad school or in career, um, 
is really finding your own balance. And that's why that self-care piece, like the holistic self-care piece of knowing, knowing what you need, like knowing what your boundaries are, and then being able to approach it with coworkers or supervisors or whoever to try to um, get the support you need without having, you know, to provide more information than you feel comfortable with. Yeah. So kind of managing stress, boundaries. I appreciate you mentioning those boundaries. And I think too, there is that um, misconception. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading that you can be diagnosed with bipolar one with just one manic episode. You just need one manic episode. That's it. And I think there may be that misconception that it's like a light switch. For some people, I'm sure it may be, but that's not the case for everyone. So it's not like, oh, you're depressed and then you're manic and then um, back and forth. And some people have just had one manic episode. Can you talk about how in general there are so many different types? Like you said, there's a spectrum. It's not like every person experiences each diagnosis in the same way? Sure. So, I mean, technically there's bipolar one, bipolar two, cyclothymia, and then um, mixed states. And um, mixed states is when you're experiencing depression and mania or hypomania simultaneously. So even with bipolar one in your, your example is that you're right. And people can be diagnosed with bipolar with just one manic episode and, and then be stable for years and not experience any other kind of mood shift. The, the stereotype is that you have mania and then depression and then mania and then depression. And, you know, some people, if you have more than four mood episodes a year, meaning depression, and then mania or hypomania or mixed states, that's what's called rapid cycling. So, um, and, and that is, you know, again, on the spectrum. But there are periods of time where, you know, months where people are in the middle and just having good days and bad days and, you know, days that are just like, meh, just like everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you clarified that too, because it's like you may be diagnosed with bipolar, but like you said, you have normal human emotions and it's okay to feel down and have good days and that's normal. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And so for someone who doesn't know, what causes or triggers bipolar? Is it genetic um, for someone who has no idea or maybe they know someone in their family who's been diagnosed with bipolar and they want to just be aware of it for themselves in the future? There's a lot of school and thought, schools of thought about what causes it, but it it's generally there are um, a lot of indicators for genetics. That doesn't mean that if a family member or a parent or a sibling has it, that you will have it. It just means that there's more likelihood. And then there are environmental factors, stress, trauma. So if there are family members that are diagnosed with it or other mood disorders and you have um, traumatic experiences that that can be what's called like a kindling effect, like a fire with kindling. And when you have trauma and and or prolonged chronic stressors, that can kind of ignite a mood episode. So that's generally so really the, a key, whether you're 
not diagnosed or you are diagnosed is stress management, especially for people that are working on like, you know, a a stabilization plan, kind of a wellness plan, which is what I do with people is really noticing those triggers and what stress looks like for you and really managing stress. That's the key. Yeah. And I'm curious too, because you mentioned stress and that can trigger it. Um, How often do you see bipolar diagnosed for kids? Just because I I think of a kid and I think that they're depressed, it may look differently than an adult, or they're really excited, you may think, oh, they're being a kid if it seems like they're manic. So do you think bipolar is diagnosed as much in children? Or what age usually do you see it diagnosed? I don't work with kids anymore. I used to in the past, I just work with older adolescents and adults. But definitely children you know, are diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and it does look different in children. It's not a common diagnosis in children, or I guess it depends on (laughs) what kind of medical professional, if you're seeing a psychiatrist that specializes in mood disorders and children, then that might be a, a better way to get a differential diagnosis. But definitely with kids, it can look very different, more irritability, impulsivity, which is, you know, in in kids, impulsivity is a a way of being for kids. (laughs) So it, um, it takes a really skilled psychiatrist, you know, um, to diagnose bipolar disorder in children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You said it perfectly. That's what I was wondering, because obviously kids just react different anyway. And I also read too, um, please correct me if I'm wrong once again, that certain treatments for depression, say you're taking a medication for depression, if you're misdiagnosed, it can actually um, trigger a manic episode. If you're bipolar and you have medications to help with depression, that can trigger a manic episode and make your bipolar worse. Would you say that's accurate? And is that something to be careful with when it comes to, I guess, who you go to, the therapist, the psychiatrist you see, and really being honest about um, your symptoms and what you've noticed? Yeah, there's a pattern for people with bipolar disorder. They often get misdiagnosed. And, and I think the average is something like seven to 10 years to get a correct wow. diagnosis. Because people may have a couple of years where they're just experiencing depression um, and may not know that it's bipolar depression. Um, or they experience hypomania, but don't identify it as such because it's not disruptive. So as far as like antidepressants, they can definitely trigger um, mania or hypomania or mixed episodes in in people with bipolar, but not always. Again, it's part of that spectrum. And many people take an antidepressant along with a mood stabilizing medication, and that can be, you know, really good treatment. But if you take uh, antidepressants alone, um, it can, it can spark a, um, a mania. And I think that's what I've wondered too, because I, I'm curious as to if someone lives alone or they experience even a hypomania episode and they don't associate it with that, um, how maybe they would even not talk about it because they think it's normal or I was just having a great day or I was feeling excited. Or, um, do you see often that like, you know, drugs can actually, you know, um, 
people might think, oh, it's the drug or the alcohol or associated with something they took, a substance. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. And so in general, for someone who may think that they are struggling with bipolar or even depression, and this is very new to them, what are some steps they can take if they don't know where to start and maybe they have some shame around it? I would say the first thing is get educated. So there's a lot of a lot of information online, go to reputable sources um, <laughs> to get information about what bipolar disorder looks like, the symptoms. Um, there's Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, DBSA. Um, it's a good resource. Um, so that's one thing is, is get, get more information, psychoeducation piece. And the other thing is to, you know, reach out to a medical professional, whether it's um, a psychiatrist, um, a therapist, or even, you know, your primary care doctor, if you don't know where to start. But for bipolar disorder, I really encourage people to meet with the specialist's psychiatrist to do the diagnosing piece. Definitely. I appreciate that. And I always mention in episodes that this is just a little piece of information and experience. And this is not, you know, please no one ever diagnose yourself from one listening to one episode, talk to a professional. And so I know we talked about supporting a loved one who's experiencing um, a manic episode, for example, but in general, what are some ways that one can really be there in general, not just a manic episode, but say someone found out that they're diagnosed with bipolar or depression, even alone, how can they be there for them? I think is that acceptance piece and being supportive. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it, a lot of times, again, there's that stigma piece, um, that where people have those, um, misconceptions, and, and that can, whether it's the person that is diagnosed or, or loved ones, it can be really hard to accept that, you know, your loved one has this illness that's impacting them. And so um, I always in, encourage loved ones to get their own therapy, their own support. You know, there's support groups, there's, and, and that psychoeducation piece. So that's one thing. Another thing is have a conversation around um, what are the signs of depression, anxiety, mania, so that they can have conversations about it. What are the coping skills so that they can offer support or encourage them to go, you know, go exercise or whatever it is, get some sleep, invite your loved one along for a therapy session or a meeting with a psychiatrist, if, you know, these are all insurance, you know, assuming that you have loved ones that you trust. And, you know, first of all, they need to be relationships that you feel safe emotionally in and trust them. But not to have like ongoing family sessions, but to have, have their support network, their loved one come along for more of a psychoeducation and to kind of engage in and provide support for that wellness plan of how to stabilize and support them. And, and also just listen, you know, so if somebody is struggling and having a hard time, rather than telling them they, they just need to, you know, be grateful, like you're saying, or, or go for a run, it, it, it may be more difficult than that. It may be more challenging and complex than that. 
Definitely. I'm so glad you mentioned that because even with good intentions, I think family and loved ones may say, oh, I read this or I read that you have to do this or go for a run or drink this tea or do something. And they may want a quick fix to something when in reality, sometimes just listening and validating someone is more than enough. So I think that's a really great point you mentioned. And lastly, when it comes to the diagnosis, obviously there's no one way for everyone, but in general, what are the most common forms of treatment you see? The types of therapy or medication in general, would you say the mix of that is um, what helps the most? Usually it's a combination of those things. Um, I'm not an MD, so I can't talk about what medications work best. Um, but there are also nutritional supplements for people that aren't wanting to to do medications, you know, mood stabilizers or antidepressants, um, sometimes sleep aids um, are usually supportive, along with therapy that um, identifies what stressors are, identifies the cues to to the mood swings, um, coping skills like um, CBT. Um, I, I use a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy approach, and, and along with creating structure. And so really needing to regulate circadian rhythm, which means sleep hygiene, which is a funny way of saying having a sleep routine, um, nutrition. So it, it doesn't mean you have to be on a diet. It just means putting nutritious food into your body and your brain. Um, hydration and movement. Movement doesn't have to be going to the gym or, you know, belonging to a yoga studio, it means moving your body. It can be very simple. The regulating your circadian rhythm and having structure it is really key along with stress management and a support network. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate all those examples. And of course, everyone, their situation looks different. And so overall, this show is about living your most authentic life. And I think a big part of that is embracing and accepting all parts of yourself, whether it's a diagnosis or a part of yourself that you don't feel great about and realizing that you are not defined by diagnosis or one identity. And so for you, um, because every guest has a different answer, what does living your most authentic life mean to you? I think a big part of that is self-acceptance. And so accepting that you have bipolar disorder, you are not bipolar disorder. And that, you know, the way bipolar disorder shows up in your life is a part of your life and that you can definitely live a fulfilling, meaningful, full, joyful um, life with bipolar disorder. And so being authentic with who you are means dealing with that internalized stigma so that you don't have those really self-denigrating thoughts or self-defeating beliefs about what you should be. I love that. And that leads to my last question, which is, what would you tell to someone who, whether it's bipolar disorder, depression, generalized anxiety disorder, they are coming to terms with a part of themselves and they feel hopeless and they feel maybe like it's part of their identity and they just want to live a fulfilling life, but they don't know where to start or where to look forward from here. What would you give to them to give them that hope and reminder that they can live a fulfilling life? 
That's a big one. Um, I think the connecting people with what's important to them. So identifying values, identifying what gives them sense of purpose or or meaning. And if people don't know that, I, I'll, I'll start with, okay, what do you have a strong opinion about? You know, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's that if you have a strong opinion, you're emotionally invested in whatever it is, that may be connected to a value you have. And learning to identify your values, what's meaningful in life, can help to like then create action plans of how to like be congruent with those things that are meaningful and then just continue to to build on that. Um, So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, they have an attachment with their cat and they feel really strongly about, you know, like cat rescues. Awesome. Let's start there. Why, what's that feeling about? And that can give people part of their self-identity and their self-worth. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And I think that's so well said that no matter what, we all have those parts of our identity that we can work on. And I really appreciate you being here. And I want to lastly ask um, if there's anything next coming up with you and your work that you'd like to share, if you would like to share your social media pages where people can follow you. Sure. Well, I'm continuing to do telehealth. Um, so I'm meeting with people throughout California and I'm happy to work with people on addressing anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, as well as that self-identity, self-worth piece, which is really big. And I am on Instagram under bipolar therapist and I am on Facebook under Colleen King and on Twitter as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here, Colleen. I really appreciate it and hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me, Tara. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you were able to take something away from my conversation with Colleen. Once again, please take these episodes as a stepping stone to learning more, to reaching out to a professional, to doing work outside of the show. So once again, you can follow Colleen at bipolar underscore therapist on Instagram. You can visit her website, insightcounselingsacramento.com. And you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at trust and thrive. I'm trying to post more on TikTok, get more active with the reels on Instagram and do more with that. And if you've been enjoying the show, you can also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes. It really helps. I say this all the time, but it really does help the show. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Colleen. Thank you to everyone who supported the show, left feedback for being here. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.